everybody? Oh, come on. Hi, everybody. People watching online are going to think there's nobody here, and I'm just talking to the walls. So uh, we welcome those of you who are online as well. And uh, just uh, my name is Eugene Newdorf, and I'm one of the members of the church. Our pastor and his family are still in holidays, although they are sitting in the audience here, and, uh, but just enjoying kicking back. So that's great. We're glad to have you guys back. Today is our... Um, can you bring this first slide up? It's up? Okay. So today is um, our fourth week in our series. As you can see on the screen, blank one another. And we've been looking at various one another statements in the Bible, uh, statements that tell us how to treat one another in, in a godly manner. And uh, what, you know, we've, we've sometimes to, to look at each of these one another statements and then we'll, as we're going to do today, talk about it around our tables and give some time for that. But so far, we've looked at love one another, we've looked at forgive one another, and last week we looked at honor one another. Now, before we fill in the blank for today's uh, one another statement, I, I want to begin with a story that's called A Smile. It involves a, a mother of uh, three who was completing a college degree back in 2013. And in her last class, which was a sociology class, the students were assigned this rather peculiar uh, project. They were asked to go out and smile at three people and document their reaction. Now, being a friendly person, always smiling, always saying hi to everybody, she thought, well, this will be a piece of cake. Anyway, one day, without thinking about her assignment, one day, her husband and, and her and her youngest son um, went out to McDonald's, and it happened to be a pretty crisp, uh, chilly March morning, so everybody was dressed a little bit warmer than normal. And while she's standing in line, waiting to be served, all of a sudden she notices something strange beginning to happen. Everyone is beginning to back away, including her husband. Now, she doesn't move, but with a sense of panic rising in her mind, because she's wondering what's going on behind me, that people are all backing away, she all of a sudden just slowly turns around and then immediately is overwhelmed by this strong, um, what she would call a dirty body smell. And there standing directly behind her are, are two homeless men who had obviously seen better days. Now, the shorter gentleman, the one that was closest to her, suddenly smiles at her, and she notices his beautiful sky-blue eyes. And when she looks into those eyes, she thinks, you know, they're just full of God's light, but I can tell he's searching for acceptance. Anyway, he says, good day, and, and he's counting the few coins that he's been clutching in his hand. The, the second man, who is standing right behind his friend, is, you know, apparently kind of mentally challenged, and so he's fumbling with his hands, and he's not as confident as the other gentleman. The young lady at the counter asks uh, the first man, so what would you like? And he says, coffee is all, miss, because that was all that the two of them could afford. And, you know, in order to enjoy the warmth of the restaurant, they needed to buy something. They go back and they take their seats, and suddenly this mother of three, with tears in her eyes, feels this strong compulsion just to do something. 
And then, smiling, she asks the young lady behind the counter to give her two more breakfast meals on a separate tray. And then, walking to the table where those two gentlemen were, she put the tray on the table, she lays her hand on the blue-eyed gentleman's cold hand. He looks up at her, tears are in his eyes, and he says, thank you. She leans over, she begins to pat his hand, and she says, you know, God wants me to give you hope. And then as she walked back to join her husband and her son, she started to cry. Now later on, as she's reflecting upon her years at college, she felt that one of the biggest lessons she ever learned was that day in McDonald's when she learned about unconditional acceptance. And so today we fill in the blank with the word, accept one another. Now, before we begin to look at the phrase that this word is found in, I have a little exercise for you. So what I want you to do in the next 30 seconds is I want you to stand up and go to as many people as you can in the room and just say to them, I accept you. All right? That's all you have to do. Just get up and go to as many people as you can, say I accept you. You got 30 seconds, go. <laughs> I accept you too, yes. I accept you, yes. I accept you. I accept you. I accept you. Okay, everybody can take their seats. Now, over the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to discover, according to the Bible, what you were actually saying to one another when you said the words, I accept you. So, let's get going. Today's one other statement is actually found in Romans 15, 7. And here's the entire phrase. It says, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So that's the one other statement in, in its entirety. And that's the we want to wrestle with the entire statement there. Now... Before we actually grapple, though, with that specific statement, I, I want us to look at the larger context, the wider context. And you'll see on the screen behind me that the wider context is actually Romans 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. And by the way, there are outlines on your table that say one another at the top. If you like that and you like to take extra notes, feel free to do that if, if you want to follow along. Now, when you look at that chapter and a half, the main thought is this. Do not let disputable matters divide you. Now, disputable matters are, are often extra-biblical rules. They could be lists of do's and don'ts that we impose on ourselves or on others. Now, sometimes these rules are, are not mentioned in the Bible at all and, and, and could be clearly outside of what the Bible says. At other times, you know, we may at the very least think they come from the Bible, but we may have inadvertently... Uh, taken what is said in the Bible out of context. 
So for, let me just give you one example. So the whole idea of drinking alcohol. Some people might say it's wrong for everybody to drink alcohol. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible simply says, do not get drunk. Right? So it talks about moderation. Now, granted, if there is somebody who has a problem with alcohol, they probably should say to themselves, I should never drink alcohol. But they shouldn't necessarily say that to someone else simply because of that. So anyway, that's just an example of, of a disputable matter. Now, either way, uh, whether these rules are, are clearly outside of what the Bible says or maybe somewhat contained within the Bible, when we use these rules and, and, and statements and make them for everybody automatically, what happens is sometimes we become legalistic. And, and if we recall from stories in the Bible, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were clearly uh, legalistic at times and, and uh, were clearly not accepting of others because of that legalism. Now what happens when you just kind of go down the rule, you have these extra biblical rules, you have this legalism that comes into play, what happens next is we begin to judge the level of other people's spiritual maturity. You know, just based on those extra-biblical rules. And then the result is often disunity and a lack of accepting one another. Now, in your notes, you're going to see a, a quote from a gentleman by the name of Gene Getz, who has written a Bible study on building up one another. And it's one of the two major resources that I've been using. But I've got it up here on the screen as well. And let me just read that. He, here's what he says about the effects of this kind of legalism. He says, nothing shatters true spiritual unity among Christians more thoroughly than extra-biblical rules and regulations that we use to evaluate a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. When acceptance or rejection of others is based on a legalistic mindset, it leads rapidly to judgmental behavior and pseudo-spirituality. Now, I think this next part is not in your notes, but I've got another bit of the quote here at the end on the screen. And he says, it also creates false guilt, destroys personal freedom to really be what God wants a Christian to be, and often leads to a violation of the true biblical standards for Christian behavior. Now, let me just stop there for a moment and get a little bit personal. I, I can relate uh, to some of this. I, I grew up in a church. By the way, it was a wonderful church. It's, it's, our, it's, it's the church that Ron and I would call our, our home church. Whenever we're going back home out west to visit family, we go and visit there. It's our home church. It means so much to us. We grew there a lot. But when we were both growing up there in the 60s and the 70s, which I, I would have been a late teen, early 20s, um, there was a period of time where I didn't always feel accepted. Now, like I said, this was a great church, many, many great things. But at times, I just felt like I was being judged based on a list of extra-biblical do's and don'ts, some of which were presented as biblical surety, but, but really weren't. Now, keep in mind, it really only took a couple of people in a position of authority to establish those lists and rules. So, for instance, um, I wasn't allowed to be an elder in the church, a leader in the church, because I happened to go to the odd movie. And in some people's minds back then, it was wrong for every Christian to go to movies. And uh, ironically, I was good enough to take care of the youth in the church, but <laughs> wasn't good enough to be a, a, an elder. I was also one of the first guys in the church to have longer hair when I had hair. 
And yes, I did have hair at one time. Um, and, and longer hair back then was considered a no-no, both in Christian and in some non-Christian circles, because it was considered a sign of rebellion or was associated with that. In addition, uh, drums and guitars and certain types of music weren't allowed in the church, especially in the morning service, which meant that my brother and I experienced a, a lack of acceptance because we both belonged to a Christian rock group. And so uh, that didn't necessarily go over that well. Now, keep in mind, even after saying all of those, don't get me wrong, it, it is the church where Rona and I learned to grow in our faith. In spite of all of that, the church went through three building programs during all this time. Um, but the thing is this, it didn't really grow the way God wanted it to until that legalistic backdrop was kind of taken out of the church. And that's another story. But to put it just, you know, in just short, short terms here, when that finally happened, that church exploded with growth. And uh, it, it became the flagship church in the community. And, um, and, and you know, even today, it's, 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 a, it's a going church there. We just got a report back that, you know, they had 165 kids at their VBS program with 60 volunteers, and they had to turn people away because they just didn't have enough room, all that kind of stuff. And then the other thing that's important is some of the people actually came to me and apologized for the way they had acted in the 60s and the 70s. So it was a complete turnaround. Anyway, I say all that because apparently this kind of stuff has happened in the Roman church back in Paul's time. People were passing judgment on one another, which of course is the exact opposite of accept acceptance, because of these extra-biblical rules they had made. Things that were clearly disputable matters. So they weren't important tenements or tenets of the Christian faith. And it would appear that both mature believers and, and less mature believers were guilty of this kind of attitude. For instance, the more mature believers, apparently they were flaunting the fact that they weren't obeying these rules. And in some cases looking down on those who were and saying, I'm superior to you, right? Whereas the less mature people were condemning those who weren't obeying the rules, right? So everybody was kind of involved in this whole thing. In fact, we find one verse in the Bible where both of them are mentioned. Look here, it says, The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. What was going on is, is that the discussion was going on, well, what should we do as Christians when when, you know, food that we're eating at somebody's house may or may not have been, um, been a sacrifice to idols or false gods. What are we supposed to do with that kind of food? Should we eat it or shouldn't we? And so some were making rules about that. Others were saying, no, that's not important because it's, it's, you know, it doesn't mean anything to us, that kind of thing. But anyway, Paul goes on to say, after saying all of this, he goes on to say in Romans 14, um, 17 and 18, he goes on to say, you know what, friends? What really matters to God, what really pleases Him, what proves to others that you're the real deal is not what you eat or what day you hold sacred as a day of rest, but whether or not you are serving Christ with a heart that demonstrates three things. And here's those three things. 
righteousness, which is moral and ethical integrity from a biblical point of view. Peace, which has the carriers with it, the context of contentment and the desire to live in harmony with God and others. And then joy that actually comes from God's heart. So that's, that's the larger context wherein we find this, this one another statement to accept one another. Let's, um, let's now look at some key words and, and phrases in this statement to love one another. Just so we can help you know, get to understand it better. And here's the key word, of course, is accept. And literally, without any context, that word means to receive something or someone. Or to take it to oneself. And so when it's used in a significant relationship, which is how it's used here, then it conveys the idea of... Um, Admitting someone into friendship or hospitality or to actually take someone into your home or into your heart or to accept someone else into your society or circle of friends. So that's just really this warm, warm sense of welcome. So now you're beginning to get an idea of what you actually said to one another when you said, I accept you. In order to find out a little bit more, we need to look at the, these two key phrases. And the first one is, accept one another as Christ accepted you. And this phrase lets us know the extent to which we should be accepting of one another. And we're told that it should look similar to the way in which Christ has accepted us. Now, what, to what extent has Christ accepted us? Well, if you look at another part of Romans, here's what it says. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the ultimate demonstration of what acceptance looks like. You see, at the heart of Christ's love and acceptance for us is his ability to accept us even when we're unlovely. Even if we're unclean from the sin in our lives. It's, it's his willingness to sacrifice himself for us even though we didn't do anything to deserve it. It's his ability to differentiate between who we are and what we've done. So you see, acceptance, to a certain degree, assumes some level of sacrifice on our part. And it involves being able to differentiate between who somebody is and what they may have done or said. So that's the extent to which we're supposed to accept one another. Here's the next phrase. To bring praise to God. We're supposed to accept one another as Christ has accepted us in order to bring praise to God. So this, this phrase tells us what happens when we another we've been talking about? It, it really is talking about the result of this kind of acceptance. And apparently the result is it brings praise or glory to God. Now what does that mean? Well, it means um, to honor God. It means to bring dignity to his name and to his person. And then I like this one. 
it, it means to actually elevate him in the sight of others so others get a good picture of him, a true picture. That's, that's what happens when we demonstrate acceptance of one another. Now, with all of that information gathered, let's now establish a greater understanding of what this means. And to begin with, just look at the way some other translations of the Bible have put this phrase. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Or here's this one. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, now you do it. And then finally this one, so accept one another in the same way the liberator, Jesus, has accepted you so that God will get the praise that he is due. Now, let's pull this all together. Here's now what it means to accept one another. It means to wholeheartedly receive or welcome someone into your midst, even though they might be different than you, it's actually seeing them for who they are in God's eyes, not what they've done, and having a willingness to sacrifice something for them. In fact, at the heart of accepting someone is this desire to give up our rights for the sake of someone else's. It's to grant someone admission into your life and into your heart it's to look beyond the superficial and just embrace the other person to treat someone in the same way that Jesus treated you. And then finally, it's recognizing that if we don't accept someone, if we don't see someone as Jesus does, then more than likely, pride, prejudice, and selfishness have kind of gotten in the way. Larry Crabb, who's a Christian author and, and a Christian counselor, says this. What every Christian can pour into another is the powerful passion of acceptance. A passion that flows out of the center of the gospel. A passion that fills the heart of God. Now I want to do one last thing before we break into our table discussions. And that's this. Because you see, one thing that many people don't realize is there is a difference between what biblical acceptance is versus today's tolerance. And so let me just take a couple of minutes to talk about that. The prevailing worldview today in our society states that all ideas, all views are of equal value. The prevailing view says that, that no one can claim a superiority of ideas, uh, especially when it comes to religion or philosophy or even morality. And so they're saying, you know, as long as, as there's no hatred toward others and you're not hurting others, all ideas have equal value. Now, in my opinion, this has left us with the worldview where there are little to no absolutes, where anyone can believe and do whatever they want and no one can even suggest that they might be wrong. You see, the idea here is I want you to catch this. What our, what our prevailing worldview says is you must accept what others believe. And if you don't hold to that view, then you are intolerant 
and unaccepting. Now, I would suggest to you that that's not really true tolerance or acceptance. That, that really seems to me as tolerance with conditions and can actually, in a roundabout way, kind of seem subversive because it leads to the death of ideas and it, it keeps us from the search for truth. Now, biblical acceptance says this in contradiction to that worldview. Biblical acceptance says that you can accept someone, that you can welcome them into your space, even if you don't agree with their ideas, or their lifestyle, or their decisions, or their views. Biblical acceptance says, my acceptance of you is determined by who you are in the eyes of God. Not what you may or may not believe, not what you may say or do. I may think you're wrong, but I'm still going to accept you. That's, that's true acceptance. And now you have a little bit of a better idea, according to the Bible, what you said to one another at the beginning of our time together when you went around to everybody in the room here and said, I accept you. Now, what I want you to do is, and perhaps what we could do is, I think we have enough for three tables. Maybe um, this table over here could join that table over there, if you don't mind, and, and we can have three tables. You will see on the back side of your um, handout that I gave that we're going to have some questions that, we're, that you're going to discuss. The first one, though, we're, we're going to do together kind of thing here, and um, I'm going to give you some time to do this. Uh, but the first one says, okay, draw a sketch or paint a word picture of what acceptance looks like to you. Because sometimes we learn in different ways, right? Sometimes we learn through a, 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 a description, right? Just a word description. Other times it, it's a picture. So what I did, just to give you an example, I have uh, done one of each. So you can just see what, what I'm getting at here, okay? And so the, the, the first one is this sketch. And the, the heart that, that's drawn over there re just represents a relationship where um, nothing is threatening the acceptance, okay? And then something happens that begins to threaten the relationship and the acceptance of one another. Now, it's at this stage that we have two decisions we can make. We can either, you know, we can either kind of crumple up that relationship and um, chuck it away, right? Or what we can do is we can remember to see people the way God sees them and then push out that crumple again and restore the relationship. Okay? So that's just a pictorial way that I, I did that, right? And, uh, and, and listen, I, I'm not expecting that kind of stuff because I obviously have had a lot of time to think about that, right? So, and and I, has, I was fooling around with the PowerPoint a lot, so that was a lot of fun as well. Here was my word picture. My acceptance of you has no limits. If you make a mistake, I'll be there. A hand on your shoulder, a word of encouragement in your ear, an accountability friend. If you hurt me, I won't bail on our friendship. I'll fight for it. Bottom line, I accept you, all of you, both your strengths and your weaknesses. So now, keeping that in mind, just around your table, take, take a minute or two and either, you know, a point form, write a couple of words on what acceptance, 
What, what you, how would you describe acceptance to somebody else or draw a picture? And then you can discuss it with one another. And then in a couple of minutes, we'll go on to the last three questions. Okay, so if the people from this table here could join those over there, that would be great.